In a lot of ways, uh, today's sermon is the conclusion uh, to the summer kickoff conference that we had this weekend. Uh, this weekend, a bunch of uh, high schoolers and some college students and recent college graduates uh, came together uh, to explore and uh, investigate uh, this issue of identity. Who am I? You know, what makes me special? Am I special? What makes me, me? Um, since many of you weren't there at the conference, uh, I want to give you a quick summary, a very quick summary, of some of the things that we explored the past two days. And not only will this help you understand where we've been, uh, what we've talked about, it's also going to furnish us with the, an important context as we look at these verses right here. Uh, Friday night, uh, we looked at Genesis 1-3. to and we saw what has happened uh, to our identity, what is wrong with our identity, how it's been broken. You know, in the beginning, uh, God defined us. Who are we? How do we work? What are we good for? Genesis 1 tells us that in the beginning, God made us in his image. Right? Male and female, we are made in his image. We are his image bearers. And we were created to reflect the love uh, and goodness of God to the world around us. Very much like a mirror reflects, you know, your image out to the world. When other people look at you, they can see you uh, in it. Uh, in the same way, we were meant to reflect uh, God to the world around us, as we put it, to know it and to show it, to know the love of God and to show it uh, to those around us. Uh, but we have rejected God. Instead of uh, letting God define us, instead of letting him say, this is who you are, this is what you were made for, we said no. We don't want any of that. We don't want you. We're going to define the, the, we're going to write the rules. We're going to define ourselves. This is who I really am. This is what I'm good for. This is what it means to be me. And we looked at some of the ways uh, that we try to do that. Uh, but it doesn't work. Despite the freedom to try and define and redefine ourselves, we still feel inadequate. We still feel, as Adam and Eve did, naked and ashamed. They're lost and confused. They're naked and ashamed. And they're trying to cover themselves up with fig leaves. And in the same way, we run to all of these different things, looking to, to creative things, fig leaves, right, to give us our identity. But it doesn't work. It can't cover us up. But that's not the end of the story. God, in his gracious, promises that he's going to recover us. God is going to recover us. And that word recover has a double entendre. It has two meanings. It means he's going to rescue us, right? He's going to recover and rescue us. It also means that he's going to cover us up. He's going to take away our nakedness and shame. He's going to give us a new and better and unshakable identity. That's what we looked at Friday night. Saturday morning, we looked at Galatians 3 and 4. And we discussed how it is that God has recovered us. The three points of that talk were our rescue our robes, and our Father, right? Our rescue. God delivered on His promise to recover us from our sin and shame when He sent His Son, when He sent Jesus into the world, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. Our robes. When we put our faith in Jesus, we are adorned with the robes of his perfect righteousness. This robe of 100% grade A awesomeness, right? 
This is what Jesus gives us when we put our faith and trust in him, our robes. And then thirdly, we looked at our father. Right? When we put our faith and trust in Christ, God adopts us into his family. This whole conference has been about identity. Who am I? And if you are a Christian, right, this is it. You are God's beloved child. You are royalty. You are a son or daughter of the great high king in heaven. Well, this brings us to today's text. We looked at our broken identity. We looked at our new identity. And now what we want to do is look at what does it mean to live out our new identity? What does it mean to live as an adopted child of God? Yesterday, I quoted Tim Keller, who's a Presbyterian pastor in New York City, and he helped shed some light on what adoption meant in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, whenever a man adopted a son, some things immediately happened, and I want to quote him again. Number one, when a man adopted a son or, or daughter, all of that child's debts were canceled. All the legal obligations were gone. No longer is that son in debt to anyone but to his new father. Secondly, right, the this, this son becomes as wealthy as his father. He immediately gets the father's name, and he immediately becomes the heir of everything that the father has. Thirdly, the father becomes liable for everything the son does. If the son does something stupid, the father pays for it. And if the son does something ridiculous, the father makes up for it. And lastly, the son, of course, now has the responsibilities of carrying on the name and has the responsibilities of honoring that name. So what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to be imitators of God as his beloved children? And then what does it mean for us to live or to walk in his love as Christ loved us? Two verses and two points for today. What does it mean to be imitators of God? as beloved children, and then secondly, what does it mean to walk in love as Christ loved us? First, what does it mean to be imitators of God as beloved children? You know, this is probably intuitive to many of you, and parents who probably don't need me to remind you, but kids copy their parents, right? Kids copy or imitate their parents. In preparing for the sermon, I read an article uh, by Chana Stifel, a woman named Chana Stifel in Parents Magazine. And she writes in this article, With his curly brown hair and sunny smile, my son resembled his dad from the moment he was born. But it wasn't until Judah was 14 months old that I truly started to think I was seeing double. My husband, Larry, had just come in from a run and was stretching in our entryway. In a flash, Judah was by his side, copying his father's every move, touching his toes, stretching toward the ceiling, even pushing against the wall with his scrawny toddler arms. Larry and I cracked up a bit, but our little boy took his workout seriously. From that point, Judah became a master imitator. Whenever I talked on the phone, he'd converse beside me. When Larry, watching the Giants on TV, pumped his arm in the air to cheer a touchdown, Judah would mimic his football frenzy. Kids copy their parents. There's a YouTube video that's probably going viral right as we speak. Right about it's a one or two year old who's 
talking to, to her dad on her iPhone, right? She's one or two, and she's just walking around, you know, jibber-jabbering on the phone. Uh, she doesn't make any sense, um, but she has all these mannerisms and, uh, of her mother and father, just the way she's pacing around the room and nodding her head and talking. It's really fascinating to watch, and it's actually really cute, too. Um, kids copy their parents. Kids copy their parents for better or for worse, you know? Uh, kids who see their parents read are more likely to read. Kids who see and hear their parents say sorry and ask for forgiveness are more likely to do the same. Children who grew up in homes where their parents smoke are more likely to smoke between the ages of 13 and 21. If you are abusive and swearing in your house, don't be surprised when your kids start cussing and beating up kids on the playground, right? Kids copy their parents. You know this already, right? This isn't anything new to you. But what does it mean for us then when Paul says, be imitators of God as his beloved children? Well, in that same article by Chana Stifle, I learned that imitation follows a four-step process. Imitation follows a four-step process. When you want to imitate somebody, what you're doing is you're watching and listening. You're processing the information. You're attempting to copy that behavior, and then you are keep practicing. Right? The process of imitation follows this four-step flow of watching and listening, processing the information, attempting to copy behavior, and practicing. Well, as we imitate God as his beloved children, we do very much the same things, right? We're watching and we're listening. Who are we looking at? Who are we watching? Well, we're looking at Jesus, right? We're watching him. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Well, why are we watching him? Well, we're watching him because Jesus said that whoever has seen him has seen the Father, He's imitating the Father, and as we imitate Jesus, we're imitating the Father as well. Who are we listening to? Well, we're listening to Jesus. We're listening to the Gospel. We're reading the Scriptures, and we're tuning our hearts to hear God's Word. We're reading the Bible. We're hearing it preached. We're looking at Jesus. How does He behave in certain situations? How does He treat people? What kind of words are on his tongue? What does he love? What does he hate? We're constantly watching and listening. Watching and listening. Well, the next step is that we're processing information. We're watching and listening, and then we're processing information. We're meditating on God's word. We're chewing on it. We're ruminating on it. We're processing it. We're seeing Jesus die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and we're hearing him pray for for, uh, praying for forgiveness for those who are hurting him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we're processing this information. We're thinking, what does that mean for me? Jesus here dying for my sins, even when I didn't love him. Jesus forgiving me, even when I hated him. How might I then? Be able to love and forgive those who hate and hurt me. We're processing this. How does it, what does this look like in my life? How might I be able to live this out here in New Haven or Middlebury or Virginia? What does this look like? Jesus said, if my brother 
uh, has something against me, I need to leave my gift at the altar and I need to go and be reconciled to my brother and then come back and offer my gift. And we're processing, what does that mean for me? You know, Who do I need to be reconciled to? Who do I need to say sorry to? Who do I need uh, to forgive? You know, Jesus said that I shouldn't hoard my wealth, but that, that I should be generous with it, being ready to help those in need. And we're considering that Jesus himself became poor that in order that I might become rich. So we're processing this and thinking, you know, what would it look like for me to imitate him here? To be generous with my life and my resources for the sake of blessing others. You get the point, right? We're watching and we're listening and then we're processing this information. We're trying to see, okay, how does this work itself out in my own life? This brings us to the next step as we think about imitating someone, right? We're imitating God. We're watching and listening. We're processing. And then we're trying or attempting uh, to copy the behavior. We're attempting to copy the behavior. Attempting is the key or operative word here, right? You're attempting to do it. Think of a child learning how to walk. It's attempting to walk. It doesn't get it right the first time around nor the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, sixth, and so on. It's a long time before he or she finally gets it. But she, he or she is attempting to copy this behavior. Even when the child finally learns how to take its first step, it's still not very good at walking. But is the parent mad or angry with the child who's not walking perfectly right away? Of course not. Right? The parent is super happy. The parent is celebrating. The parent's taking pictures and calling their friends and saying, you won't believe this, Tommy took his first step. Right? And in the same way, right, God is elated when you are attempting to copy his behavior. He's not disappointed when you attempt and fail. Right? He's glad that you're trying. He's glad that you're trying. Finally, you keep practicing. What would happen if you quit trying to walk just because you weren't good at it? What if you stopped trying after you fell one or two times? What if you just said, I'm not going to do it anymore? You know, what would have happened if you quit trying to ride a bike after your first skinned knee? What would have happened if you, as a first grader, looked at Shakespeare and said, I can't read this, and just said, I'm just not going to read anymore? You, you, You couldn't read Shakespeare in first grade. But what would have happened if you just said that? Well, forget it. I'm not going to do this. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do now. Walking, riding a bike, reading, that seemed impossible to you when you first started. But now you can do them just fine. But the reason that you can do them is not because, the reason you can do them is because you didn't give up. You kept practicing. The thing itself hasn't changed, but you have. You've gotten better at it. God has given us his commands, and he says, look, these are the family rules. This is the kind of person I want you to be. These are the sort of things that I love and hate. These are the things, sort of things I want you to do as you grow into sonship and daughtership. And at first, it seems impossible. You know, at first, you're like, there's no way I can do this. But he wants you to attempt it, and he wants you to keep practicing. You will fail to do this well many, 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 many times. But don't lose it, right? Keep practicing. 
You are a son and daughter of God. God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy. Christian, the Lord of the universe, right, the, maker of heaven of your earth, and the maker of heaven and earth, is your father. You are his beloved son. You are his beloved daughter. He has adopted you into his family. Not only has he given us his son, and not only has he given us his spirit, but he has given us his word. He's given us the scriptures, which is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And God has given us all of these gifts because God intends for you and me to grow up. He wants us to grow up. He's at work in your life and he's at work in mine, making us become more and more like Jesus. He is conforming us into the image of his son. He's making us become more like his son. This is the good work that he's begun in you the minute you put your faith and trust in him. And he's not going to quit doing it. You know, as I tell my students a lot at UVM, God loves us enough to meet us where we're at, but God loves us enough not to leave us there. He intends for us to grow up, right? He intends for us to become more and more like him. As I said, this is the good work he began in you, and he's going to carry it on to completion until the day that you meet Jesus face to face. The only other thing I want to say about this verse before we move on to the second is this. Imitating is not earning. Imitating is not earning. This may be the most important thing I'll say to you today, so please hear me say it again. Imitating is not earning. A lot of you have the mentality that if you do all of these things, if you watch and listen, process the information, attempt to copy the behavior, and keep practicing, then God is going to accept you. Then God is going to love you. But you've got it all backwards. You've mixed up the order. The order is not imitate God and then become his children. The order is you are God's children by faith. Now go and do what dad does. The order is critical here. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe becomes your father. Jesus becomes your big older brother. You become God's kids. You are royalty now. You are sons and daughters of the great high king. And this is your new and better and unshakable identity. When you put your faith in Jesus, God adopts you into his family. You are not a slave. right? You are not going to get fired. You are his son. You are his daughter. And you are not going anywhere. And God is not letting you go. Becoming God's children is not the reward for imitation. It's not the reward for imitation. You are a son and daughter because Jesus saved you. And when you put your faith in him, God adopted you into his family and called you my beloved son, my beloved daughter. So now watch him. Listen to him. Do what dad does. Watch him listen. Process the information. Attempts to copy the behavior, keep practicing. The reason you're doing these things is not to earn God's love. You have it already, friends, right? The reason you're doing these things is because you're in the family now. 
And you're learning what it means to grow up. You're learning what it means to walk. And this is a good segue then into our next and final point, which I'm going to keep uh, pretty short. What does it mean to walk in love as Christ loved us? Well, maybe uh, most obviously walking is active. Paul doesn't simply say to us, you know, this is your new identity. You're a son and daughter of God. That's all there is to it. Just sit back and relax and wait for heaven. He doesn't say that. He says, walk in love. Right? Walking is active. Walking is not sitting. Walking is not lying down. Walking means putting one foot in front of the other. You've got to move your legs and your arms, which is to say there's an active component to your faith. Walking means putting one foot in front of the other, shifting your weight, keeping your balance, and doing all of these things at once. And when you're first learning how to walk, this is hard to do. And it's kind of exhilarating at first, right? But once you get the hang of it, it's pretty straightforward. And to be honest with you, when you compare walking to other things that you can do with your legs, like running and skipping and jumping, walking is kind of boring. But therein lies its significance. Because God doesn't say, I want you to somersault in love. Tim Keller, who I'm going to quote again, has this great point about this. He says, God doesn't say somersault in love. This is important. You see, a somersault is not spontaneous. Right? A somersault is not natural. A somersault is not routine. You see, whenever the Bible says walk in something, it's talking about a lifestyle that's routine, that's normal, that's spontaneous, and that's continuous. When it says walk in love, it means love should be something that happens so naturally, it should be part of your day in and day out, hour in and hour out life. Walk in love. Well, how are we to walk in love? We are to walk in love as Christ loved us. Right? This harks back to sort of what I said earlier, that we need to pay attention to who God is and what he has done for us and what he is like. Right? We want to love as Christ has loved us. Right? Think back to the first point when we think about being imitators of God. And it also gets back to that point about I said, uh, the point I said about imitating versus earning. We are walking in love. We are doing these things because Christ has loved us. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. We're doing these things because he loved us already. We're not doing these things to earn his love, right? We're doing these things because we have his love already. We're watching him. We're attempting to follow him. We're imitating him. We're growing up into Christ's likeness. One of the most important questions that you can ask yourself is who am I? God says, you are made in my image. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. But you have sinned against God and have tried to find your identity apart from him. It will not work. And maybe you're already figuring this out already. My friends, there's good news for you. God sent his son into the world to recover you. And when you put your faith and trust in him, God robes you in his perfect righteousness and he adopts you into his family. You are royalty now. You are sons and daughters of the great high king. 
But your journey doesn't end there, right? It's time for you to learn how to walk. It's not going to be easy. You're going to fall down many, 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 many times. But don't be discouraged. Your Father is delighted to see you try. So watch and listen. Process the information. Attempt to copy. And keep practicing. Your Father loves you. And He is smiling on you even now. Please pray with me.